0: Here, the gap between the rich and the poor gets even wider. Millions and millions of people around the world are struggling every day for survival. If
1: the government officials and everyone from the top and down does not get educated first on poverty and homelessness, then it's a no-win situation.
0: You cannot design these policies when you're sitting in comfortable offices, far away from where things are happening.
2: You're listening to The Lid is On. I'm Conor Lennon. This year marks the 30th anniversary of the UN General Assembly decision to create the International Day for the Eradication of Poverty on the 17th of October, 1992. Three decades on, the world is overall richer than it's ever been, but that wealth is increasingly distributed unevenly. The economic consequences of the COVID-19 pandemic really brought home the fact that there's huge inequality both between and within countries. To get a better idea of what progress has been made in dealing with poverty worldwide, I spoke to Ai Ai the co-founder of the International Committee for October the 17th, which promotes the spirit and aims of the day, and Stacy White, a New York-based activist with an organisation called ATD Fourth World, which focuses on helping those in the worst conditions of poverty. I asked Ai Ai to tell me about the key achievements that have been made since 1992, and she said that, for her, the main one, was breaking the silence of poverty.
0: Over the past 30 years, we've gained something which is uh, really quite significant, which is that poverty is more recognised as a violation of human rights. So if we return to the central text of the October 17th commemorative stone, you know, it says very clearly that, you know, that the stone that has been inaugurated in uh, Trocadero Human Rights Plaza, the very place where the Universal Declaration was signed, Whenever men and women are condemned to live in extreme poverty, human rights are violated. So this text was enshrined way back in 1987. And although seeing poverty as a human rights issue made sense to us, the human rights defenders, and those of us working for social justice, many others were not yet on board with us. But now I think that we've won it by speaking out and by raising collective awareness. And if you look at also this history of civil uh, human rights between civil and political rights, economic, social, cultural rights, what we've seen is that previously human rights were regarded as only civil and political rights, the rights to free speech, the right to uh, vote, etc. But over the past 30 years, we've made significant gains in recognizing Economic, social, and cultural rights. By this, I mean the rights like the rights to housing, right to healthcare, education, right to adequate food, and social protection. And more recently, you've had the right to a healthy environment recognized as a basic human rights. So I feel that like this is huge, huge progress. And I feel that uh, with all the natural resources in this world, with all the monetary wealth and the technological know-how, there's absolutely no reason not to be able to make poverty become history.
2: Inequality has been growing between countries and also within countries over the last few decades as well. I mean, that's quite a concern, isn't it?
0: Yes, it certainly is. I mean, this is one of the setbacks that uh, we feel over the past uh, 30 years too. that. If you, if you look at this question, each year, the gap between the rich and the poor gets even wider. Millions and millions of people around the world are struggling every day for survival. Just the past year alone, 2021, uh, has recorded the sharpest increase in the wealth of billionaires and increase in corporate power whilst at the same time you see the erosion of jobs and workers' rights, and I think this is something that doesn't make any sense. And what we've seen too is that the uh, COVID-19 pandemic has uh, exposed these structural inequalities and different types of discrimination that deepen and perpetuate poverty.
2: Do you think that People, Stacy, have uh, misconceptions about why people end up living in extreme poverty. Do you think there's a lot of misunderstanding about about how oh, people yes. get in? It's,
1: it's, it's, it's a lot of misunderstandings. People believe that people want to live like that. They're not trying to get out of poverty. They're making no effort to get out of poverty. You know, this is what people say that, oh, they just want handouts instead of tackling it. And the people that are saying these things are people that are only hearing and seeing it. They are not up front and personal with poverty. So what they need to do is to see it up close and personal and see what poverty actually looks like. Not what you read, not what you see on television, but what it looks like up close and personal.
2: You're in contact with people living in extreme poverty uh, on a frequent basis. Are there some changes that you think could be made by politicians, by by the city, by the state, That would make a real difference.
1: Yes. If I had the power and I had the budget, I would first off start with the city shelters. I would make sure on the inside they are secure enough, there's enough space, and it doesn't look like an institution. When I say institution, I mean prison, because I currently work inside of a men's shelter, and it's set up just like a prison, just like an institution. And then I would put more money into helping the mentally ill, and then I would go to the streets and make them feel safe and make them feel secure. A lot of people are on the street and a lot of people are not getting assistance from the agencies because of the, the fear and the humiliation that we have to face when we want to do these things.
2: There's also a problem of working poor, isn't there? People who, they do have jobs, they do have homes, but the amount of money they're making is not enough. This, this seems to be a big problem in New York.
1: Working people, they also need help. You have working people, like you said, the working poor that are out here that need assistance with feeding children, but because of maybe a penny, three pennies over, they are not eligible for food stamps. These people need help as well. The working poor need help as well. They they need assistance, but they cannot receive it because they making, because of the so-called cap on the money that they make. It's the old thing where, why do they need food stamps if they're working? You know, it's like if this family needs help, let's help this family. You know, it's like, oh, well, she's working, so we're not going to help her. Or she doesn't have papers and we're not going to help her. We focus on so much irrelevant things. And I believe that's why we cannot move forward with a lot of issues in New York City.
2: There's a lot of talk about the cost of living crisis across the world.
0: Whenever there is a crisis, the People, the people, the poorest people are always the hardest hit. It's something that uh, that concerns concerns us a, a great deal. And what Stacey has been saying is that you know um, governments are always trying to design policies to either, you know, when we had COVID, reduce the impacts of COVID. Now, you know, trying to formulate policies to uh, help us get through this uh, cost of living crisis. But from listening to Stacey, we know <laughs> that. Uh, If you want to be effective in your poverty eradication strategies, you need to know poverty close up. And, you know, you cannot design these policies when you're sitting in comfortable offices far away from uh, where where things are happening.
2: What is your message for politicians, especially as, you know, we're heading into winter now?
0: I think that um, it's not enough to design uh, ad hoc policies uh, which take us through from one crisis to another crisis. I think if you're looking at, um, you know, way forward to tackle uh, poverty eradication strategies, I think we need need to look at it in a, a an overall framework, <laughs> a more a more complex framework that's rooted really in human rights. You need to go beyond uh, the current measures that you have. So like, you know, right now, for example, the World Bank has a monetary level, the the $2.15 per day uh, level to measure if people are below the poverty line or not. Uh, The multidimensional poverty index of UNDP is a better measure of Uh, not only income, but also sort of different uh, deprivations experienced by people in their daily lives, you know, including poor health, education, nutrition, etc. But what Stacey has made clear too, like in what she's been saying earlier, is that poverty is not about deprivations only, and we need to go beyond the current measures and take into account the hidden dimensions of poverty, you know, the, the relational dimensions the kind of institutional maltreatment that Stacey's Stacey talking about when she goes to the uh, the government agency, the shame and the humiliation, you know, and all, the, all of which that lead to the suffering of the body and the mind. So all of those hidden dimensions have to be taken into account. And then the other aspect is that, um, you know, you, you need this... Uh, Informed and meaningful participation of people, because I think there's a lot of talk about you know when we design you know policies to deal with crisis, yes, we want participation from the affected communities. but I think we need to move beyond this uh, token participation and go into real and meaningful participation and and by this I mean like people in the poverty should be involved in the design, monitoring and evaluation uh, of policies. And if we want to be successful, uh, we need to listen to these voices, the ideas and the solutions provided by uh, people living in poverty. And extreme poverty is not a personal failure, but a collective failure of all of us to create the conditions in which everyone can enjoy their rights and well, I mean, like, you know, Connor, I've been involved in human rights for a number of decades now. And what I find beautiful about this approach, and, and I wish more and more governments would be, you know, <laughs> enthusiastic about it, is, is that it's transformative. Because, you know, uh, when you talk of the inequality and so forth, why is that the case? Because, you know, the, the relations, the power relations in our world is unequal. And we need a, a framework which can transform these unequal power relations and transform the deep-rooted structures of discrimination that perpetuate poverty. If you want, like human rights approach is uh, really a, a game changer because if you move this narrative, you know, from charity to rights, you see people not as seekers of charity, seekers of welfare and so forth, but as holders of fundamental human rights. and so this would move Stacey and millions of people who are experiencing poverty from uh, a position of uh, weakness to a position of strength and from feeling this powerlessness, you know, to a stage of uh, empowerment.
2: And let me just finish with Stacy. then. Stacey, you were nodding your head a lot then when you heard what I was saying, so you clearly agree with, with much of what she was saying. Can you foresee a New York which has dealt with or begun to deal with its poverty crisis?
1: I, I can believe so. I, I do have hope, and I do believe that it can happen. You have to educate people, the people that's living in poverty, you know, how to speak with those that are coming to the government agencies for to, the to assistance, you know, not just looking at them, not just looking down at them, not just making them feel humiliated, you know, not just asking, well, why aren't you working? Well, why did you have these many kids? You know, these are the things that we have to face when when we go for the support from the program that we actually need to survive or else we ourselves will be on the street as well. I have a big hope. And uh, because I wanted myself to speak more about the homelessness. I want to have ATD around places where poverty exists in New York City so that people can know that they can come to ATD and learn and they can have a voice and understand that they deserve dignity, that they have human rights as well. If the government officials and everyone from the top and down does not get educated first on poverty and homelessness, then it's a no-win situation. But with ATD, I do have a lot of hope. ATV gives me the hope about someday New York City as a place that will follow from us. Because we are, like as you stated, we are the, one of the richest cities. So we we have the resources, we can do it. So we could just start with that. Start from the top and from them and then down. Because sitting in your, the plush offices is not going to let you see that some children are not eating at night. Some children are going to school with barely a some families are, are sleeping in cars. Some families are sleeping in the parks. It's just not single people outside, but they don't see these things, you know, and it's all about education. It's all about education. That's what we need to do. We need to educate. The only person to educate are the people that are in poverty and we need to be included in, in it to so that we can show them you know, sitting side-by-side side with them is what needs to happen.
2: You heard Stacy White, a New York-based activist with the ATD Fourth World Organization, and Ai Ai the co-founder of the International Committee for October 17. And a reminder that the 17th of October is the International Day for the Eradication of Poverty, and this year is the 30th anniversary of the day. To mark the milestone, the committee's produced its own 30-episode podcast series called Dignity Voices, and you can find that on Spotify. That's it for this week. We'll be back next Friday. Don't forget to like and subscribe this podcast to make sure you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening.